are grateful that Greg is back wherever he left to. We're grateful that he is back and his family. Grateful that you are here this morning. Thankful, thankful for those that helped serve this morning, whether you're teaching Sunday school, or whether you're helping with our service, or whether you're taking up the offering, whatever you may be doing. I'm just so grateful for you being here this morning and helping serve this church. Hope you have a Bible with you. Every single Sunday when you come in, we are going to open this Bible. Now you may turn it on and you may scroll to it and we'll, we'll work on that as we get together, um, as we grow together. But I want to encourage you every single Sunday to have a Bible with you. And we're going to open it up this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. There's always Bibles in the back. If you come in and you don't have a Bible with you, there's always Bibles in the back that you're more welcome to use or take or have. But 1 Peter chapter 1. And then also, hopefully when you came in, you got a bulletin when you came in, a study guide. See, Charles has it figured out. We'll get, we'll, we'll get him there. Those are the, that's the OU coming out in him. So we'll get him there. So it's the idea that on the back of the bulletin, there'll be some notes if you want to use that. I think they'll be behind me on the screen, but we'll work, work through those notes. If you're the kind of person that likes to take notes or, or like to follow along, those will be behind me. Um, but we're going to be back in First Peter this morning. Just this last week, of course, many of you know that I work bivocationally, and so during the week, I work as an electrician for an oil and gas company, and so throughout the week, I don't dress like this, as you can imagine, and so normally, um, they're, usually they're striped overalls, they kind of remind you of a train conductor, but I, I'm bringing them back. I mean, fads have to start someplace, right? So normally, I am in a set of black and white striped overalls, they're, they're key brand, so that, I have that going for me, but instead of striped overalls, I usually have a plaid purple button shirt. Usually you got the sleeves barely rolled up and because of the summertime and because of the heat, I've got a cowboy hat on. And so the other day I'm sitting there at this tank battery and I've got this pump panel opened up and I've got my stool and I've got wires going everywhere and I'm trying to make this thing do what it's supposed to do. And a salesman comes up and he's talking to my boss and the other guy and they're talking and they're having fits over there with whatever they were messing with and one of my co-workers looks at me and says, Spence, I just can't get this to work right. Why don't you pray for it? And the salesman, he looked and goes, huh, what's that going to do? And I just kept my mouth shut. It's just like, okay, just let's see where this conversation goes. And my co-worker says, well, it could work. You know, Spence has some pull that we may not have. And he said, well, how, why would he have some kind of influence that we don't have? And my co-worker said, because Spence is a preacher. And that salesman looked at me, and he looked me down, <laughs> And he looked me up, I could just see it in his face. He didn't see it. And that's okay. That's okay. But the danger is, is that when the world looks us up and down, and they don't see Jesus, that's a problem. It's not just a matter of being a mistaken identity. It's not just a matter of being misidentified by the way you dress or by the way you talk or how you act. The question is, is when the world looks at this church, what do they see? So Peter is writing to an early church, and we've looked at this in the first three uh, messages we've talked about here in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to another church. They are enduring persecution from an outside world. They're a, a young church. They're surrounded by lostness. They're surrounded by darkness all around them. They're surrounded by all kinds of pagan religion, all kinds of heretical teachings that are out there. They are being told and pulled and, and pressured in different directions. And so Peter is writing to them, and you think back to where we've been. He writes to them to remind them that who they are 
regard their identity in Christ. He, he talks to them about what they have, the gift of salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ. He, last Sunday we were talking about what we have forgotten and so many times we forget our identity, our gift, the inheritance that we have in Christ. So he says, I want you to remember this is who you are. And then these, this Sunday, the next Sunday, he's then going to talk to them about because they are saved and because they're followers of Jesus Christ, then therefore this is what they do. And he's going to talk this morning about holiness. And next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at love. He's going to say, these are the two primary distinctions that the world will know that you are his. His being Jesus Christ, God. The way that they will know that you are God's people is by your holiness and by your love for one another. And then you get down to chapter 2 and he starts laying it out, practically speaking, how to apply this and how to work this out in our practical lives. But this Sunday and next Sunday, he just says, now we can come up with a lot more distinguishing marks, but this Sunday and next Sunday, he identifies two primary marks. One being holiness, and the next Sunday, we're going to look at love for one another. But he, he brings this in and says, because of who you are in Christ, this is who you should be in the eyes of the world. And he talks about holiness. And I realize we come into a room like this, and a lot of times when you hear the word holiness, you just think, well, God's holy, and we are not. I think sometimes we misunderstand what is, in, what is meant by holiness and what is expected by holiness. So what we're going to do this morning, <coughs> a little different than what we normally do, I'm going to start in the middle of the passage. And then we're going to start in the middle, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of the passage, and then we're going to the end of the passage. So there in your notes, I've got it out beside it. Point number one, verse 15 through 16. Point number two, verse 13 through 14. So you say, well, he's, he, he, that's a misprint. No, that's, that's, that's right. So let's look at this idea of holiness as Peter presents it. And I just want to point this to you because I think this is him writing to the church. So there's an expectation to the church writ large. There's an expectation to all of us of what we should be living like and what the world should see in us. That salesman was looking at me and he looked at the overalls and he looked at the plaid shirt and he looked at the muscular physique and I don't know why you laugh. You're really, that really kind of gives me self-conscious issues. I don't, really, I don't know. Uh, makes me wonder why you're laughing. I don't understand it. But, but he, he looks at me and he sees one thing and I think, you know, that's fine. You don't have to see the preacher. I do want him to see the Savior. And so when we talk about it this morning, I want, I want you to hear from my heart that what we are driving towards and what should be the goal of this church is not for the people outside these walls to see First Baptist Wellston. Not to see a preacher, not to see a group of people, not to see a Sunday school class, not to, sing, not to see a worship team. Our goal and our aim as a church is for people to see Jesus through us. And how will that happen? That will happen through holiness. So notice, notice what Peter does. He talks about this picture of holiness. So you pick it up there in verse 15. Now he starts there with but, and so I realize that's not the beginning of the sentence. And so some of you grammar Nazis like Candy, you just have to understand. We're starting here in the middle, so I understand that it's not going to make sense until we put it all together. But, verse 15, he says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I 
am holy. As Peter is writing to this early church, he wants to tell them, he wants to show them, he wants to remind them that God has a standard. That there is a standard. And this standard that Peter refers to is holiness. Now, a lot of times we think about holiness, we think about the holiness and the attributes of God. But here in this text, when he's writing about holiness, and you're to go back and try to look at, do a little bit of a word study on what this holiness means, holiness, just defined in a dictionary type sense, means to be set apart. To be upright. To be morally pure. He has this idea in mind that as God is set apart from us, we are to be set apart from the world. In other words, what Peter is reminding us is that we should be different than the world. Do that. I'm not saying that you should be better. I'm not saying that you should be judgmental. I'm not saying that you should be snobbish. I'm not saying that you should be indifferent. I'm not saying that you should be clickish. I'm not saying that you should go around and look at them and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you're in the world and I'm not in the world. He says that as Christians, we should be different in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our desires, and in our priorities. He says that we are to be holy. He he tells them. We are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And we have been called to be holy. Oh, we got there in the Sunday school classroom this morning. We started talking about salvation, soteriology type issues. And we were talking about the called and the chosen. Oh my goodness. Adam and I could sit there for days and days and talk about how this looks at other scriptures and bringing it in. And sometimes we only have so many minutes in the Sunday school class. And it's hard to really just... Wait, wait, wait. But it's one of those things that we have to remember. We have to know that as brothers and sisters in Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called for a lifestyle and a behavior set apart by God. We are to be different. We are not the same from before salvation. We are not the same as the lost people around us. We are to be different, not because we are... First Baptist Church, Wilston, but because we are saved, we are redeemed, we are to be a different people. And so Peter says that this difference looks like holiness. As God is set apart, we are to be set apart. So he says there, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in what? Somebody give me the next three words. Audience participation part. Next three words. What? All your conduct. He doesn't say just on Sundays. He doesn't say just when you're around other Christians. He doesn't say just when you're in public. He says your holiness should apply to all your conduct. So what does that mean, preacher? That means with what you watch on television. That means with what you listen to on the radio. That means with some of the social media that you intake. Young lady just the other day, right here in this very room, she made a reference. She, she coined a little phrase that I'm aware of that comes from a TikTok meme. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You're not going to continue that sentence in this place. No, no, no. I know where it's coming from and I know what it is and it has no place in here. We have to be reminded that all of our conduct is not just when we're in this place, but in every place. And we have a problem with that. We need to admit that we have a problem with hypocrisy and authenticity and genuineness. And we have an issue where people outside these doors say, you know, they act the part, they talk the part while they're inside, but just wait till you get them outside because they're somebody totally different. 
That's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that our holiness should be applicable in every moment of our life. Or you have others out there in the world today that says, well, you know what, Spence? I am not perfect. Good. Because then that would make you the Savior and I would have to worship you and I really don't want to do that. i got enough saviors to worship. I don't need more. But the reality is, is none of us are perfect. Notice in this passage, Paul is, or Peter is not telling them to be perfect. He tells them to be holy. He tells them to be set apart. Some people will come to this passage and say, well, Spence, that's just not doable. Spence, that's just not possible. Spence, there is no way I can do it. Let me just ask you a question. Who gets up in the baseball game at bat and never swings? I guarantee you there's been times that Simon has swung and not hit the ball. Does that mean he stopped swinging? Every time you hand that running back the football after a play in the football game, that running back, does he expect to score a touchdown every time? He understands on that every time is going to be a home run, but he knows that he is going to try every single time he's given an opportunity to succeed and to excel at the task that is given him. And so what Peter is looking at the reader and saying, listen, you have a standard. That standard is God's holiness. Just think back to what he says in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. Some of your Bibles, it may have a footnote there because this is where Peter is referring back to. Verse 44, it says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. God makes it very clear in the Old Testament, and Peter is reminding us in the New Testament that there is a standard. God has a standard for our lives, and it is holiness. He doesn't say perfection. He doesn't say sinless. He says we should be striving to be as holy as possible. Which means there's some things that we don't do. Some things we don't participate in. Some things we don't laugh at. Some things that we don't pursue. Because God has called us to be holy. Well, if you're like me, you're sitting there saying, okay, so that's what God wants. Well, how am I supposed to do it? Well, that's why we go back to verse 13. Because the first thing... That I want you to see is a standard. This is the standard Peter gives us that the holiness of God. But then he goes back and talks about the method. So if you know what God expects of you, that God's standard for his people, excuse me, is holiness, well then how do we pursue that holiness? Well, if you go back to verse 13, he gives us a recipe. He gives us a methodology of how we pursue this holiness. In verse 13, the Bible says, Therefore, referring back to what he said, verses 1 through verse 12, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former Ignorance. Now, some of your translations may say, therefore, girding up your loins. Or they may say something about girding up the loins of your body. It's a reference to an Old Testament picture of the people and their dress. They didn't have trousers, and they didn't have zippers, and they didn't have buttons, and they didn't have inseams, and they didn't have waistlines. Everybody ran around in what I call toga. They all had the same kind of outfit. You see the Old Testament, the old pictures of Jesus. Not the Old Testament pictures of Jesus, but Old Testament pictures of those characters in Sunday school, the New Testament pictures. They all walked around, and so when they would need to run or 
they needed to work, they would have a means of kind of tying things up so they could move around and they wouldn't be encumbered in their moving around. So the idea is that you are tying up the loose ends, that you're getting yourself together to prepare yourself for holiness. So that's why he says there in verse 13, preparing your minds for action. He tells them, he points them to the reality that their holiness begins in the mind. Your holiness begins in your mind. My holiness begins in my mind. Just think back to a couple of pages there in James chapter 1 and listen to how the writer of James puts it there. In James 1 and verse 14, he says this, talking about sin. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James is making a reference that sin begins the mind before it gets to the heart and before it gets to the hands and before it gets to the action, it begins in the mind. Your mind is the first battleground of your faithfulness and your commitment and devotion to God. It begins in your mind. And so that's why Peter looks at him and says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Peter, I, I think he may have been thinking about to the garden. Maybe thinking when Satan comes in and tries to deceive Eve. And what does it say? That Eve saw that the fruit was good. He had gotten into her mind. He had gotten into her thinking. And when her mind became disordered, her actions became sinful. So it begins in your mind. That's why he puts so much emphasis right here in verse 13. Preparing your minds. Being sober-minded. That idea of being sober-minded is the idea of being self-controlled. That The idea that you want to have this discipline in your life and you want to have control of your senses. That's one of the things that is out there right now. Whether it's the... Whether it's the abuse of prescription drugs or whether it's the abuse of intoxicating drink or whether it's the abuse of other form of medication that you might pursue, one of the dangers is is that whatever it is, it becomes mind-altering. Whether it's healthy or not healthy or beneficial or not beneficial, we must be careful and we must guard ourselves against those things that alter our state of mind. Because when our mind has become altered, how are we going to have that sober self-control when we are giving that control over to other devices and other influences? And so he says, it begins in your mind. It begins with you having control, self-control on what you are focusing on, what you are thinking about, what you are pursuing after. So he says in verse 13, how do you achieve this standard of holiness? It begins in your mind. Verse 2 or verse 13, being sober set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you. So he says when you get control of your mind and you have your mind in the right place then you can set your hope fully on the grace of God. I want to just challenge you with a thought this morning. I contend that our attitudes and emotions are the product of our focus. Now, I realize we are living in a very hyper-elevated time of anxiety, mental health, struggles. And in no way do I want to try to make fun of or belittle. But yet, I'm also conflicted because there's so many pages in Scripture that says, Do not be anxious. Take your anxiety and worry to the Lord. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God. 
And yet we have people that say, well, I just can't control myself and I am just a mess. Right now, we have a young lady representing the United States over there in Japan in the Olympics that is withdrawing from competitions because of what she claims to be mental concerns. I'm not trying to say that's right or wrong. Do not misunderstand me. Even if you are on Facebook, I'm not trying to make a a slanderous remark against the lady. I'm just saying that we're living in a day and age that our minds are not on Christ and it shows. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that those people that put their minds fully on God struggled with many of the ailments and maladies that we face today. And I wonder how much of it is because our focus is in the wrong place. Peter makes it very clear. Makes it very clear that put your full hope. Hope fully on the grace that we brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wants to make it very clear to them that there is a way that they can pursue after holiness. So I contend, and you may disagree and that's okay, but I contend that our emotions and our attitudes are the product of our focus. And furthermore, that your actions are the product The product of what, Spence? The product of what you pursue. The product of what you believe in. The product of what you prioritize. The product of what you follow. In other words, let me put it this way. Your practice reveals your priorities. Your behavior displays your belief. And your feet follow your faith. And yet we have a lot of people today that are saying one thing with their mouth and they're doing something different with their feet. They're saying one thing with their mouth and they're doing something different with their hands. They're saying one thing on Sunday and they're doing something different on Monday night. They're saying one thing when everybody in here is listening and they say something different when they're outside these walls. We have people that are pursuing a worldly methodology and they wonder why they're coming up short in the eyes of God. So Peter says there's a standard, holiness. There's a method pursuing after those things. It starts in your mind and then goes to your heart. Then it flows out through your actions. And as we prepare ourselves to pursue after God, then our focus and our mindset will be on God and we will be pursuing after the things that He gives us to pursue. But you might be here this morning and you say, well, Spence, okay. Why should I? What's in it for me? Why should it matter to me if I pursue holiness or not? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, after all, if you're saved, you're saved, right? If you're saved, once saved, always saved, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. So whether I'm just a number one on the scale of holiness or a five on the scale of holiness or a 12 on the scale of holiness, what does it really matter? I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And this is where I would plead with you and draw you back into the text to think that Peter, seeing those objections, wants to remind them of their motivation. This is why you should desire to pursue holiness in God. What's the motivation, Spence? Well, he starts there in verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
I don't think many of you understood just what took place just there. I don't think many of you heard what I read or read what you heard because a lot of you really didn't get that excited just now. Did you, did you see what Peter was doing? Peter was showing them that if you believe that you're going to be judged one day before God, that's what he talks about. He's talking about this impartial judge. He's talking about a just heavenly father. He said if you really believe that you are guilty of your sin before a righteous God and you really do believe that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for your life. In fact, he even says there, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds. So he says, if you acknowledge that you're going to stand before God one day, last part of verse 17, that you should have fear. That you should have fear. You should have fear because what are you going to say when you stand before God one day? So Peter says, but you missed the point. Do you not understand the picture? He says right there, oh, you missed it. And I know you missed it because I can see it in your faces. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways. What is he saying? He is saying that because you have been ransomed, redeemed, born again, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, because you have been ransomed, you have something to be excited about. I guess you all didn't hear me. Did you not understand what he's trying to say? He is trying to say because you realize who you were and now you realize who you are now, you have something to get excited about and that should motivate you in your faithfulness and your obedience to God. I know you're not getting it, so let's turn back. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. This will get Phoebe fired up. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't hear any pages turning. I don't see no swiping going on. Let's go. Come on. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Oh... We're going to keep going until I get something. Until I feel like I'm getting through with you all. We're going to keep going. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Listen to what Peter, listen to what Paul writes. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what, what Paul's doing right there, he just lays it out. This is who you were before Christ. This is the B.C. days. Phoebe talked about this last Sunday. Was it last Sunday or was it last Wednesday? She doesn't remember. I remember. She, but she came up with this phrase. And it's not an original phrase. It comes right out of verse 4. Somebody read. Somebody. First two verses of verse 4. First two words. But God. Oh, see what, see what Paul is saying? He is saying, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What Paul is doing right there is he is saying, do you not understand this gift of salvation? Do you not understand where you were, where you are, and where you're going? This motivation that Peter is referring to back in verse 18, he says, because you have been ransomed from your death and from your sin and from your penalty of hell for an eternity because of your rebellion against God, because you've been ransomed, you now get to pursue holiness. And you can get up in the morning and you can go like, well, you know, I'm just, I just don't have anything to get excited about. I don't have anything to be thankful for. I don't have anything to come in and smile for at the church, you know, because when I come in, i got a lot of problems and i got a lot of stuff going on. And I just got a lot of stuff I'm dealing with and I just don't have anything to be happy about. Bless your hearts. Bless your hearts. 
Because you know when I pick up God's word and I read God's word and Peter reminds me, Peter reminds me of who I was before Christ. He reminds me that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account. And the only hope that I have when I stand before God one day is the blood of Jesus Christ covering my sins. And I realize that it doesn't matter who you are this morning in here. Some of you in here this morning, you know that you're saved. You know that you've been born again. Slowly, Josie. You know you've been saved. You know you've been born again. You know that moment has come. You know that you have been forgiven. And your eternity is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But those of you in this room this morning that you have never made that decision, I have good news for you. You don't have to die in your sin today and go to hell. You can now go to heaven. And you know what that means? That means that when we go out of this room, we have a good news to share with the people. It's not what the Democrats are doing. It's not what the Republicans are doing. It's not what a virus is doing. It's not what economics are doing. It's not what a future is doing. We get to go out and tell people that you can be ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that gives us motivation to get up and say, that's the God I serve. So many of us get on bandwagons of teams and you have paraphernalia going out your ears. I support this team. I support that team. No team is perfect. And most teams are going to let you down. There's a team that you can be on. There's a holiness that you pursue. Peter says, we have been ransomed. And then, oh, and then he goes on. Verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So Peter is saying, you know what? You want to have that motivation for what you're doing? Understand that you have been ransomed. You have not been left in jail. You have not been left in your pity and left in your mind. You have not been left in your gloom and doom. You have been ransomed. And the second thing he tells us is that our hope, our hope and our faith is alive. There's so many religions that we've been looking at on Wednesday nights that are dead religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism. There's other cultish and other false religions out there and they believe that their God is dead. It's over. There's no hope. And yet what Peter says is that we have a motivation because we know our Savior lives. And I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, this morning that either you can be identified by your sin or you can be identified by your Savior. Peter says, why not be identified by your Savior? Why not be identified by who you are? We have too many people in the world today that they're identified by their sin. They're identified by their job. They're identified by their hobbies. They're identified by their behaviors. They're identified by their their, their indulgences. They're identified by what they do. They're identified by themselves or they're identified by their sin. And Peter says, be identified by your Savior. And you want to get up in the real morning and you want to realize that I am going to stand before this Savior, 2 Corinthians 5.10. I'm going to stand before this Savior one day and I'm going to give an account for my life and I don't want to stand before him and tell him I left anything left on the table I want to stand before him knowing that I've done everything I can do to serve him it's been a while probably since you heard it some of you think I'm going to sing and you're going to be disappointed not yet remember this I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer.
And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. That's what Peter is reminding us of. Peter's reminding us of that this idea of pursuing holiness, it's not because of the fact of trying to earn a salvation. It's not because you're trying to meet off a certain task. You're pursuing holiness because of who you are in Christ and what Christ has done in you. You have this standard. You have this method. You have this motivation. And Peter says, what is the church waiting for? So let me just try to put this together. How do we walk out of here with holiness. Just three ways at the top, bottom of your notes and then we'll, we'll wrap our time up. Beware of excusing apathy. Beware of excusing apathy. What do you mean by apathy, Spence? I'm talking about the times that we compromise, accommodate, or justify sin. Those times that we say, well, it's not that big of a deal when we know it's a big enough deal that Jesus died for it. We know it's a big enough deal that it sends people to hell for an eternity being guilty of it. We know that it is sin and yet we justify our apathy and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Being apathetic means that you're just indifferent. You don't care. It's not that big of a thing. You're not worried about it. You're just going to let things go. And Jesus says, I died for that and I am calling you to be set apart from that and there is no reason to be excused your laziness or lethargic attitude. Beware of excusing apathy. That's what the movie was about last night. Some of you missed out. You missed out on a great time. They had this, they had this shrimp queso dip. It's going to be at the Lord's Supper table, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. It's going. It's it's part. I didn't know it was going to be on the menu, but I do know now. It's going to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be, ah, well, that, was, that, that, ooh, that was heavenly. You missed it. But we also watched a movie. And in that movie, it was about little thing after little thing after little thing drawing you away. And the next thing you know, you find yourself far away from where God wants you to be. How does that happen? It happens because we start excusing apathy. Holiness sets us apart. Holiness sets God apart. And we should desire to be where God is at. Second thing I want to call you to is to guard your mind. <coughs> the mind is most generally, most often, the breeding ground, the, the source of doubt, discouragement, division, or dissension. Most of that stuff starts in the mind. You start thinking it, and then you start believing it, and then you start justifying it, and then you look for ways to spread it. It starts in your mind. Guard your mind. I don't care if you're 40 years old. I don't care if you're 4 years old. I don't care if you're 80 years old. It doesn't matter. All of our minds are under constant attack. By what we hear, by what we see, by what we bring into our minds. And I don't care if you say, well, I'm an adult. I can eat the fish and spit out the bones. They still hurt when you swallow them accidentally. Don't mess with it. Guard your mind. Know that this world is continually trying to pursue you, to draw you to itself. And God is saying, be holy. Be set apart. But then this last one. Consider what you're living for. Consider what you're living for.
Are you living for money? Are you living for man's approval? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the wants and the dreams, the desires the world says is important? Are you living for the goals that this world calls success? Or are you living for God? It would be so easy if I could point you to Scripture and to say that we can live for both. But unfortunately, based upon my understanding and reading of God's Word, you're going to be living for one or the other. And I think when Peter gets here in this text, he wants to call the church. He wants to awaken the church. He wants to challenge the church. He wants to hold the church accountable to say, listen, you can't live for God and live for this world. You're going to serve one of the two. And either you're going to live for God or you're going to live for this world. And he comes in this passage and says, I want you as the church, I want you as the church in the middle of darkness and lostness and opportunities to minister, I want you as a church to be known as the people that live for God. And I wonder... What are we living for in here? You bow your heads with me.